Welcome back to the OGs. I'm Don Povey. I'm joined as I am each week by Kyle Bunch. And this week we are joined by a very special guest. He is the greatest basketball player in the history of Emerson College. Obviously, that's how you know this guy, but you might not know that he's also an author, a blogger, a podcaster, a TV veteran, uh, and he's a he's a Boston guy, so we should have some fun talking this week. Welcome to the show, John Corrales, old friend, star of also our first Blogs with Balls commercial. So, John, thanks for joining. That was the best day. Shooting those commercials, uh, doing the Kobe, our, our version of the Kobe jumping over the car thing. Um, that was fun. I miss that. That's back <laughs> when I could actually jump a little bit. You know, I saw, I saw somebody post something about Peter King yesterday. I said, oh, look at that. Our old friend, Peter King. Like how we got such weird shit early in those days where we had really no, you know, street cred. We just kind of let it fly. And it was nice how things turned out. It's like the total example of shooting your shot, right? <laughs> like you shoot your shot and you know, you get, you get Bomani Jones involved. You get, you know, all of these big names, um, Gary V like <clears throat> all these people that are huge and you know, it's, it's a testament to, to you guys because, you know, obviously a lot of, a lot of people associated with this blocks with balls have, have gone on to do really great things. And I think it's that kind of attitude of like, you know what? Let's give it a shot. Let's try it because what's the worst case scenario? And and it, it, I think it's carry you guys a you know a long way. Uh, I appreciate that. And before we go into the past, let's kind of go into like the immediate past. This past weekend was Super Bowl Sunday. Um, Kyle, what was your rooting interest down there, or what do you think of the game? Because I know talking going into uh, this past weekend, I think we all had different expectations of what was going to happen. What was and, and the reason I want to bring up John, as I mentioned, a nice nice Boston guy there. We want to get some perspective from him. But Kyle, what, what was the biggest takeaway from this weekend? I mean. One for me, you know, I, I, I've come come around. I came around at the last Super Bowl with Brady. I finally got to the, I don't like New England, but I've got to appreciate the history that I'm seeing here. It doesn't hurt that, you know, as I've, I've gotten into my 40s, I've come to appreciate a guy who can, can still represent for us 40-somethings out there. So, you know, I went into this <laughs> one not sure what to expect. By the end, I think was buying into a lot of the – Hey, the Bucks are are probably stronger on on the defensive side, but certainly didn't expect what we saw out there. I mean, that was that was pretty thoroughly dominating in a way that you know I don't know the last time I saw it. I think <laughs> Patriots were down twenty eight to three, and then you know things changed. But <laughs> uh, but yeah, so it was you know I thought it was I thought it was a impressive showing by by Brady and a team that had largely been put together over the last year. Before we go to John, too, I know each week you kind of bring up uh, the ad space and there's no bigger, literally, Super Bowl <laughs> for, for advertising uh, as the Super Bowl. Uh, anything uh, on that front jump out to you as a, as a professional in that space? You know, I, the thing I kind of hate that's happened now with the Super Bowl is this that everything's kind of already been out there by the time the game happens. I think there was a time where there was a little bit of an art to the sort of teaser ad that set something up and had a payoff. And we saw a little bit of that. But, I, you know, this felt like, hey, a lot of stars had their movies put on hold and were available to do a quick spot. And so you had a lot of star power, but spots that kind of felt like, 
uh, I, I don't know, maybe some creative teams were, were struggling to ideate working remotely or something. I, there wasn't a lot that sort of captivated in my mind. Uh, I, I will give a shout out to RGA. We pulled off a, a five second last minute ad with Reddit that uh, was kind of a hijack moment that came together in the, the week leading up to the Super Bowl. So in te- in incredibly biased, but but proud of that one. But yeah, you know, I think there's there's just, uh, we've, we've all seen the messages of the sort of, come back the sort of cultural moment and it's all all at once nice to to hear and at the same time sort of just become a sort of slow background noise that that doesn't really stand out and and obviously you know the one that that bums me out now is the is the jeep ad with the boss and, and uh how everything went down i was reading about it this morning and like you guys read this how the cops basically like saw him take a shot with some some like fans in a park and then just like even the boss isn't immune to police pulling their shit. So he, uh, you know, he kind of got, got a raw deal. It feels like there. Well, you know, it's, it's speaking of the boss and sorry, John, we're going to bring you in. I swear to God. <laughs> <laughs> just, you got me talking about ads. <laughs> <laughs> you just ramble. Uh, you know, it's funny. Listen to some local radio today, just kind of like needling him a little bit. And then I got a text from our friend, Jamie Hamill, who we all know, and has been a, been a speaker for us. Like, yeah, I bet he was doing some, uh, cop's wife. Like, you know, they had, they had, out for him so now we got, got all these local conspiracy theories uh going here in jersey i think the funniest thing with that ad and i tweeted out like during the super bowl is he started trending because of the ad and then you go on there and you look at why he's trending and it was because everybody was pissed off at him right like the rights like oh this liberal blah 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 preaching to us about unity after like trump loss and then like the lefties are like why are we capitulating to the right like screw the middle like come to our side so i was like well he unified everybody and hating bruce springs <laughs> message so here we are uh but let, let's go kick, kick it back to football first of all john any ads that stuck out to you we'll, we'll wrap this bow up for uh Kyle here. <laughs> no no I, I wasn't i wasn't paying as close attention uh to the ads this year there's nothing that really um that really stuck out stuck out for me um, was anybody else disturbed by the michael b jordan alexa ad i was kind of like Weirdly it, it, went, it went a little far, right? Like <laughs> my wife was like, whoa, okay. Like she, she her read it was funny and then made the mistake of watching it in our in front of our 10-year-old daughter. And it was it was, you know, kind of pushed some push some limits there. Yeah, we had the same thing here. Me and my wife kind of looked at each other like are they, they're still going? <laughs> You're gonna keep going? All right. Uh back to the game, John. Uh Patriots fan uh for years, yeah. uh assuming a Brady fan, at least for years. Sure. Um, still a Brady fan? How, how's the, yeah. uh, how's think, the relationship? I think, I think, um, I mean, for me, especially as, as I get older, a lot of that, uh, vitriol that, oh, a guy who leaves is a traitor. Like I never really, really bought into that. Um, that that's like that extreme tribalism, you know, you're either with us or you're against this type of thing. Uh, and, and, and especially now it's like, they wanted to move on. I get it. He wanted to move on. Like sometimes relationships just end and it's okay. Like he felt like he wanted to keep playing. He found a team that would want it, wanted to have him play and it worked. So congratulations. Like, and, and doing it on another team like that, like the, the, the commercial with him and Gronk, which was basically like, come down to Florida let's just win another one. Like that's basically how it was like, yeah, I want to win another one. Let's uh, let's go down there. Uh, good for him. Like to, to do it at that age. 
I've got no animosity towards them. I think it's, and it doesn't, it also, I'm not going to get like a lot of animosity towards the Patriots over it either. A lot of people are doing that as well. They're like, oh, see, see, you still could have kept winning. I, I do think that it highlights how spoiled we've been up here since Brady took over and started winning. Uh, it, it does kind of like, pe- people aren't like just satisfied, like, wow, what a run. And you sit back and say, that was, that was fun. And yeah, it ended, but that was a, that was a fun ride. People just want more and more and more. And you're like, all right, it's time out. Take a break. <laughs> I just enjoy what happened. So I thought it was cool. I thought it was cool. I, I really had no rooting interest. I, if the, if the chiefs had won, I'd be, you know, good for them. I just wanted the, the better team to come out on top. When he did win, did you have that feeling of, Hey, that's our guy, like kind of a pride thing. Like, no, no like I, that, that was done. It, it looked weird. Brady to Gronk in Tampa Bay jerseys was like weird. That that just it didn't make sense. Um, for it to happen twice was like there. There was a little bit of like, wow, I can't believe that this is this is happening again. Especially after Gronk, like Gronk retired. Like he. Was well, that gone. was going to go to that, right? You have that feeling for Brady, but Gronk's situation was a lot different. Like, yeah, little little bitterness towards him. No, no, like. He he retired young, so you're I much too he, you're much too even killed. I'm trying to like try to. I know. Kill a I'm bit. sorry. That's that's my that's my thing. I've leveled off so much over my in my old age. Like I I I don't get riled up anymore, um, which is bad for like podcasting, I guess. Um, but no, he retired young, and like a guy who's young and hurt. I figured he might want to come back. And there was, there were always rumblings last year that, you know, in new England, like maybe we can call Gronk. Maybe, maybe he's feeling okay. So I don't think anybody in new England thought Gronk was done. And then, yeah, of course he'd want to come back and play with his old quarterback. Who else would we want to play for? So it was weird. I'm not saying that I was, you know, a, a completely enjoyable thing. Like I sat there with like, you know, stars in my eyes, like, Oh, like that wasn't it, but you know, good for them. Like I got, that's, that's the best I can give you. Brady does it. Brady certainly doesn't need any more attention. We're going to talk about John, but uh, let's just bring up the the latest news of the day and and uh, the the endearing images of of drunk Brady. Um, can we just give the the man once a he's credit? relatable? Right. Yeah, I mean, most of the tweets that I'm seeing is like, never thought I would kind of like a little bit of Tom Brady. And uh, well, my question was with all the like, you know, I haven't had sugar in 15 years. I, I got to figure he doesn't drink a ton. Right. Like that would kind of right. go against so much of the rest of it. So I, I, he's great at everything, but I have to imagine he's a terrible drinker from a tolerance standpoint, right? Like that might've been him after Probably. just, a, you know, a couple of my ties. I, I don't know how much it takes. That was, that was two Michelob ultras and then just wasted. Just wasted. That's, that's where throwing, he's throwing the trophy around, which that was the part I like, let's say that goes falls into the bay. What's the, I assume you just have a hundred people diving in to go after, but like, what, how does that go down? If, if it's a, a drops drop? the first one off the boat. Yeah. <laughs> absolutely no i mean isn't drunk brady like like the thing about tom brady at at first it was like this he was the fat guy from michigan like oh man look at this just normal fat guy and he he's a quarterback i'm like wow holy shit he's he's a super bowl champion 
And, and then you start to realize like, wow, this guy's actually really good. And then he morphs into this TB12, like, I'm going to take this way too far. Like, I'm going to start selling you the type of uh, stuff that Eleanor Shellstrop was selling in The Good Place, like these pills, like all this craziness. And, and then he, he becomes like this caricature of himself. And, but he's still an awesome quarterback, so you overlook it. He's got a Trump hat in his locker. We're like, all right, we're going to look past the Trump hat in your locker. We're going to look past the weirdness of the things that you say. Like, I'll just keep on winning football games. And he marries Giselle. Like, he, he now he becomes completely unrelatable. Now you see him in a weekend at Bernie's moment where a guy's, like, literally holding him up as he's walking to his uh, Escalade. Like, that's like, man. That's how I would be if I won the Super Bowl. I'd be on that party boat. I'd be doing keg stands. I'd be doing all those shots off the skis that we used to do at our events. Like all of all of that stuff. And someone would have to guide me into the back of a car to get me home. And please don't let me talk to anybody in the media in that short walk. That's that's the most relatable Tom Brady might have ever been. <laughs> Absolutely. And the we alluded to this before, too, the age thing. It's like he's our guy. Like, that, yeah. that, that's us. Like, yeah. we see ourselves holding his kid as he's doing the peace signs out here, looking like a oh, looking man. like a looking like a like a like a dad joke. He was like a dad joke. That's what he looked like. That's <laughs> true. Dad joke. Exactly. <laughs> it was fantastic. He, he took the family to uh, Disney World after yelled at him. You know, we're going to turn the car around if you kids don't keep it quiet. The whole thing, you know. So, all right, well, got that out of our systems, and that felt pretty good. I, I think we got some doozies there. But, uh, John, uh, Red's Army was uh, where we met you and became acclimated with you. But, um, you know, you had a career, uh, saw your broadcast journalism major, spent a lot of time in TV. Uh, but, you know, on that blogging side, it seems like that was sort of running about parallel to your quote unquote professional career. And I think the first panel that we had John on was in Vegas, was about at access, right? About bloggers and, and new media having access um, to uh, teams. Uh, fast forward, what I guess, 10, 15 years for you, John, uh, from that time. Well, maybe not that long, probably about 10 years. And you know, you're a beat writer, right? <laughs> you, you literally went from blogger wondering about access to in the locker room as a beat writer. Um, and was this as this was your your side hustle, right? The, yeah. the Reds Army was your was your side hustle. Kind of take us through that kind of evolution from going, okay, I'm working in TV, and then having that passion for what you were doing, covering the Celtics, and you know, taking you up to you know the mass lives and and where where you were a couple of years ago. Yeah. So when I started out blogging, I, it was just a a fun thing to do. You know, it was just a me and Chuck McKenney just deciding like, you know, we were sitting there at work. We worked overnight. So I was producing morning news at WBZ in Boston. So Chuck produced the 6 a.m. show. I produced the 5 a.m. show. So if we wanted to watch a Celtics game, we'd go home. We'd get home from work at like, I don't know, 10, 11, noon, something like that. We were straight overnights. Wake up at 7 o'clock, <clears throat> excuse me, and, you know, my alarm was that the TV would turn on and like it would turn on to the jump ball. So like roll over in bed, wake up and watch like the first half of the game 
and then drive to work listening to the second half of the game on, on the radio and catching the highlights when I got to work. And we just were talking and having fun about it. And, and we saw uh, a, a Red Sox blog, Boston Dirt Dogs, and we decided like we wanted to kind of copy that. And, and I didn't think anything of it. I thought it was just going to be two guys making jokes, doing funny photoshops, uh, being, being fans, and just whatever. And then people started to read it, you know, like, and I'm a competitive guy. So when I do something like that, I want people to see it. I want it to grow. I want it to be, well, if we're going to do a blog, we might as well do the best blog, right? Like that's. Somebody brought it up. Did you have, did you have the site meter on, on the? Oh yeah. Right. Oh, yeah, the counter. That, that was like, th- that. that's the drip right there. You kind of see it. that, right? That growing. Holy cow. Yeah. Anywhere there's a scoreboard, all of a sudden, like I can feel my heart start pumping a little bit more. Like, oh, okay. All right. How many, how many page views you get today? Okay. Let's, let's see. What, what can we do to get more page views? And it became like a little bit of an obsession. Uh, and the joke that I always tell people is that I was too stupid to quit. I was too stupid to stop blogging. And it grew to a point where we got, you know, continue to get noticed. Um, I thought we carved out a nice niche. And at some point, a few years into it, I was like, well, if people are starting to read this, then maybe I can make something of this. And so I started to transition out of the goofy jokes and all that stuff into a little bit more writing and a little bit more analysis and, and try to use my 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 journalism skills um, and, and try to build stories and, and make it into something more. And when we started to get some interest, some potential buyers for the site, which never worked out. Um, eventually, it got to a point where I had to make a decision. I was either going to do this or I was not. And so I started the blog in 2006. By I, I was doing that for 10, 11 years. I was in New York. Uh, after a few years in New York, I'd hit my like absolute wall. I, I couldn't do both things anymore. And so, and I look, I had a, a, a job in New York city that w- I was producing shows. I had created a new show. I was doing on-air work. I mean, it was a job that most people wouldn't give up. Like that was a good gig. And I decided to come back to Boston and dive into this and start a Patreon and start all of this stuff and, and, and try to get my, you know, get my basketball brand for lack of a better term going. And, um, coincidentally around that time, mass live, uh, was looking for a a beat writer and I had applied and I ended up getting that job. And so I did that for a couple of years and now I'm transitioning into a new job. I'm actually starting a new one on Monday at Boston sports journal. So as a beat writer covering, the, the Boston Celtics. So now I'm, now I'm entrenched, <laughs> you know, uh, it's, it's been a, it's been a wild ride. Um, I can't, I can't believe it. I, I still feel like I'm that, that idiot blogger in a lot of ways, but um, yeah, it's, it's kind of, it's kind of different being legit and like being in on these Celtics zooms and being in the locker rooms and traveling around the country covering this team. 
You know, I always say that back then we didn't have social media like we have it now. So right. self-promotion self was a lot of link groups, right? A lot of email groups, right? Kind of really pushing your stuff out. Um, you know, you said when you started getting noticed and we joked about the site meter, right? Was there a tipping point? Was there, you know, one moment where, and again, like to me back then, like 500 views a day was, was something, right? And then a thousand yeah. views a day is something, right? It, it wasn't a lot, but it just showed you like it was more than you and your group of friends doing. Was there, was there a tipping point? And also, you know, what were you doing, if anything, proactively to get it out there or did it just kind of grow organically for you? So... I don't know that there was a tipping point necessarily. Um, I know the site continued to grow and forget what our daily, like we had some numbers during, you know, July is always the biggest page view day, uh, page view month uh, because of free agency and you leading up to, you know, June, July off season, even after winning a championship in 08, like championship is like, yay. But then it's like, okay, what's next? And one year, I forget what it was. We had like, I don't know, a couple hundred thousand page views. And I was like, holy shit. Like, wow. Looking at these numbers. Um, what I did was I would go into, at the beginning of this, there were like forums. Um, and Boston.com had its Celtics forum. And other websites had their Celtics forums. And I would just join these forums. and my, my handle would be Red's Army and you'd be able to create your signature and I'd create a signature, redsarmy.com. Uh, it was like the voice of Celtics fans and a link. And I would just engage in every conversation that I could. And hopefully people continued that, you know, to follow that link. And, and it works. Like I think the boston.com stuff is where a lot of people found us. And then, then people started sharing my stuff onto forums separately. And then it's just started to grow exponentially. So it's, it was very much like, a, you know, that was, that was our social media basically. So I didn't have, I didn't have, a, you know, Twitter and there's certain, certainly nothing like a viral tweet or anything like that, but uh, that, that worked. Yeah. And like you said, it's not much different than what you would do today. Right. Yeah, I'm I'm curious as you were kind of going through and you were, you know, spending your days working in film, video, TV, you know, producing video content, did you ever contemplate going all in on the video side of this? We've had people like J.R. Jackson on who really like that was their, you know, focus was, hey, how do I create a brand in video? What was the sort of balance for you of writing versus video and thoughts there? Yeah, I back then. I didn't see the video thing being the avenue um, because I, I mean, I didn't know, I didn't know how to do it. First of all, like in 2006, 2007, we didn't have like, I couldn't do this with my phone and talk into it um, or grab this thing here and stick my phone on the end and like record my little spiel about it and post it onto YouTube and directly upload it to YouTube. There was a whole series of connections and blah, blah, blah. And that, that seemed like so much work. Just putting the blog together was a lot of work. I mean, we, the first iteration of redsarmy.com was such a mess. We would, we did a, you guys might remember the WYSIWYG editor, what you see is what you get. And we didn't have like WordPress. We didn't do 
any of those types of things. We wrote things out on a page and published it to the web. And I would, I would send Chuck the file. So Chuck had the updated file. And then when Chuck wrote some, so we each had it and we'd have to contact each other be like, okay, I'm, I'm writing this. And then I would highlight things on the, move them down, put a new thing up. And if I wanted to write something extended, I had to do a separate page with a link to that page. It was, it was nuts. It was nuts that we did that. Um, thank God blogging software came along and we moved over to TypePad. I think it was the first one. And then to WordPress. Uh, if that didn't come along, I think we would have gotten sick of it because it was a very arduous thing. Um, but the, the video elements really didn't come around till later, much later. So uh, yeah, I, yeah. I just focused, I knew my avenue in was through the writing. And it was like have, growing up in this industry, I know you got you to do small market stuff. And it used to be, if you wanted to get into this, you'd have to go cover, you know, Topeka, Kansas boys basketball and cut your teeth there. And I, I saw this as like, all right, eventually it went from, like I said before, me goofing around to me saying, all right, this is, this is me now working in a small market and I'm going to make my mistakes here. And eventually, hopefully it gets good enough where people notice and I become a viable candidate for some of these jobs. No, that totally makes sense. And yeah, it strikes me that back then I definitely had those moments of working in things like Dreamweaver and, and versioning of things. And, but it was, oh man, you know, in retrospect, it was these things, the whole thing was sort of handcrafted, right? Like we weren't quite chiseling the stories into, you know, <laughs> right. tablets, but we, in some ways it felt like that. And, and much. you know, and, and you kind of see now, like you're sort of saying before that had people that were very focused just on the craft of writing, the tools that sprung up allowed people to be very focused on the craft of writing or eventually video. But in that in-between period there, the people you saw online, the voices you saw online, a lot of them really were these sort of multidisciplinary people who had taught themselves a lot of things to get there. And, yeah. and I, you know, as we've talked to a lot of people, it's interesting to see the the places that that's taken different people, I think by virtue of the fact that, you know, you weren't just one thing. If you were a blogger in those early days, you had to be a sort of multi-hyphenate creator in those. Yeah. And I think, I think that era gave rise to a lot of the, the podcasting element because it was a lot easier to do voice than it was to do video. And um, I, don't, I think blog talk radio still exists, but uh, blog talk radio used to be the, the big thing. And you know, you get, you hop on there, you do a live show. Um, that, that was our podcast. And the initial wave of podcasting was a lot of us who were blogging and still wanted to do more. Mm -hmm. And because at that point, the video part of it wasn't as readily available. Like we couldn't do this zoom type of thing back then, but I can get Chuck and say, Hey, we're, you call into the blog talk radio line. Here's, you know, we're going to do it at this time. I've scheduled this slot. People can call in. I put it on the blog. We have interactions. And that was a great way to kind of add another element. So part of, and, and look, I, I was a broadcast journalism major. So I always wanted to do more than just write. Writing was kind of secondary. Writing was my way in. The blogging, 
got me to the podcasting. And the podcasting is my most successful thing right now. And, and that's leading to on-air opportunities, which is why I went to Emerson College in the first place, because I wanted to be the next great sports center anchor. Because, you know, Dan Patrick and Keith Olbermann were my heroes when I was, you know, at that, at that point. So it's kind of like a backwards, like I backdoored my way into this point. But right now with the podcast, which is the number one Celtics podcast out there, uh, my writing, you know, now I'm on the beat and opportunities that are springing up from new partnerships via both. Uh, I'm, I'm finally ready to, to be everything that I had hoped to be. Now, granted, I'm doing it at 47 and not 27, but I'm doing it. Well, it, it seems very, what you described actually does seem not so much back to where at first I thought it was, but it also seems very complimentary, right? The things that you were doing, you're kind of honing your craft in, in all areas along the way to get to where you're at. Um, you know, kind of going back for guys that are coming out and girls that are coming out of college as, as broadcast journalist majors or journalism majors, what have you. Um, yeah, I guess my question for you is you were, a, that's a major market, big team, right? Celtics blog. You, you, you joked about cutting your teeth in Topeka. Um, you know, I remember at, at the first blogs of balls with, with Gary V. Uh, you know, we had that cricket blogger that was in there where everybody started like, "Oh, you cover cricket," and Gary's like, "Well, he's got no competition." You know, you yeah. have fifteen Celtics bloggers out here trying to make a difference. Um, you know, kind of jumping into the major market. You know, what was that thing that set you apart besides maybe the hustle, etc. Um, you know, was there a point where it's like, man, this, this space is really crowded. How do I really set myself apart? And, you know, what advice do you have for, for doing just that? Yeah. Uh, well, I, I, I can't set aside the hustle and I don't, I don't want to say that to like pump myself up, but like I said before, I was too stupid to quit. And, and really what allowed me to set myself apart from a lot of people is that I outlasted a lot of people. There have been plenty of very good people that just let other things, you know, become priorities. And, and that was, you know, whatever their choice was, that's their choice. Um, and then like at first, my, when I, when I did Red's Army, our, our separation was being kind of like, you know, the, the funny, the funny people because Celtics blog existed and they were straightforward and Celtics hub existed. And that was Zach Lowe. <laughs> so uh, we had to be something different, you know, and Zach was obviously doing a lot of analytical stuff and you know, you can't compete with that. So we started out doing photoshops and, and just kind of being funny, but like trying to be almost cool heelish, like, you know, the degeneration X types, you know, and back when nobody quite, cared about, you know, usage rights of images that we could just write all yeah. of that stuff. <laughs> right. You know, really trying to, the, the, the adage, you know, it's better to ask for forgiveness than it is for permission. Um, if anybody asks us to take something down, then sure. But until then push the, push the envelope. If you want me to cease and desist, I'll cease and desist. But sure. Just, just sure. let me know. <laughs> um, but as I, as I got going, you know, like I, I, I established myself as a regular voice. And so the, the hardest thing that you, 
you can do, the hardest thing to do in this industry is become part of somebody's habit. And that's what you want to be. You want somebody to make you the habit, which means you have to be somebody that is relatable, likable. Um, I mean, how many times? So you want people, you want people looking at your morning dump. Basically. (laughs) (laughs) Which is whatever, anytime I'm embarrassed by blogs with balls, you know, I know that uh, Red's Army is still still using their link dump as the morning dump. (laughs) (laughs) Our morning link dump wants the morning dump, but Hey, that still exists on Red's Army. Uh, and people, it, hey, what's more relatable than that? Um, but, <laughs> but seriously, uh, you know, being in the TV industry for so long, I had countless, countless um, consultants come through and every one of their bits of research would come back with, well, it basically boils down to who likes your anchors versus do you like their anchors? And so, how do you become somebody that is, you know, I'm not trying to say, oh, everybody, please like me. But you know what I, what I did was I engaged in the comments. People ask questions. I had answers. And I still do that. I still try to answer people on Twitter. I still try to answer people when, you know, emails. We do mailbags. I try to connect with people. When I'm on my podcast, I always make sure that I'm talking to the one person who's listening. I'm not talking to a group doesn't matter if 100,000 people download it or one person downloads it. It's one person listening at a time. I want to make sure that I'm talking to that one person. I try to make these personal connections so they have that personal connection with me because when I go to a new outlet, I want them to come with me. And my dad used to own pizza places. Uh, Of course, we're Greek. That's what you're supposed to do at one point in your life. It always stuck with me that when he changed locations, Regular customers followed him to the new locations. They didn't go to the new place, the place that was there before. They would follow him because they liked what he did so much. I'll never, ever forget that. And that's how I want to be with my writing. And my writing and my podcasting, whatever I'm putting out there, is the same thing as the pizza. It's something that other people are consuming. You got to make it so they like it and you got to make it so they want to come back. So when I go from Mass Live to Boston Sports Journal, I want these people to come with me there. And I know that Boston Sports Journal probably is going to be around forever either. I'm going to be at another outlet at some point in my life, probably, odds odds are. I want those people to come with me there too. And it's not to say leave the others behind, but make sure that these people are following me. So it's all about making sure your content is good, obviously, but being relatable, doing, you know, People ask me to do podcasts, not like this, but like Celtics, you know, other Celtics bloggers, young Celtics bloggers. They ask me for advice. You want me on your podcast? Try to make accommodations. Just try to be out there and and, and just not only am I putting myself out there, but I'm connecting to people. Half joking about Boston Sports Journal not, not being around. Um you know, something we talk about too is just different delivery methods of that. Kyle likes to bring up Substack a lot. Um, you know, future of the industry, where where do you see that going since you've kind of gone all in on particularly what you've described on, on the writing side? Um, you know, what is the future like, do you feel, for, you know, really in-depth or insightful, you know, sports coverage? I think there's a, a move now towards more individuals. The, it mirrors sports 
um, very closely. And I'll, I always tell everybody, you know, young, young people trying to get into this business. I, I tell them all the, the, the industry that we're in is a lot like the sports that we cover. Um, there are tons of people going in for limited positions. Being good isn't good enough. You've got to have some luck on your side. You have to have some perseverance on your side. Um, and now, so it used to be when we were young, you were 100% rooting for laundry. But now the internet and social media has changed that where it doesn't matter that you grew up where you grew up. It matters who's great and who has a good Instagram feed. And you can be in an, in a market where your team is good, but your kids can still be fans of other teams and other players because they're exposed to so much. And I think that applies to us too, where the internet and social media, the, I don't need to work for the Boston Globe or the Boston Herald. I work now at Boston Sports Journal because that's the place that, you know, I, I like that fit for me. However, this works out down the road, whether they fire me or whatever, at some point, I think this breaks off into individual, again, who do, who do you like as a consumer? Do you like me? Do you like Brian Robb? Do you like Adam Himmelsbach? Then you're, you're going to go to their outlets, but eventually everybody's asking for your money now. Everybody's now, they're, they're trying to put like the toothpaste back into the tube where everything was free. And now they realize that we shouldn't have been giving away content for free because you got to pay people to produce this content. So now everybody's starting to ask for your money again. And they're slowly, everything's going behind the paywall. So are you going to go behind a paywall for an outlet? Which outlet is it going to be? Because you're going to either pick the Globe, the Herald, or Boston Sports Journal. You're probably not going to be able to afford all three, generally speaking. So you're going to have to pick one, maybe two. I think eventually, individually, we're going to see if we can really test the limits of, can I earn this living doing this myself? Are people just going to pay me? Can I get somebody to pay me five bucks a month? Can I get enough people to pay me five bucks a month to match what I've been making? And is that, is that enough? Like we're seeing so many people do that now with the Substack stuff that it's going to be a real interesting experiment. Like that's going to be, can that chip away at the foundations of traditional media? Because if I want to read Tom Ziller, then I got to go pay to read Tom Ziller specifically. And do I want to read, you know, Kelly Dwyer? Do I, I got to pay these, I got to pay each person that I want to read. So eventually I'll be like, I can't pay the globe 20 something dollars a month just because I want to read Adam Himmelsbach because I'm getting all of the globe stuff. I, I just want to read Adam and Gary Washburn. So we're going to more like, I think, a la carte type of things, which, which means individual brands are going to mean a little bit more. And the downside to that is that people are going to be maybe too focused on the individual brands at first. And we're going to have to find that balance of, are you selling yourself 
or are you selling your coverage? And you are part of your coverage, but you can't get too caught up in selling yourself because ultimately you're just trying to be a Kardashian and you're not trying to be a journalist. And you got to make sure you find the balance in both. I do wonder, you know, looking at it, and it, it strikes me as we're talking about all of this, that, you know, one of the bigger success stories in this space grew up in your backyard with Barstool, right? As somebody who's cracked. And obviously now when you get into the betting side is a whole other deal. But um, I do wonder about the community side that you're talking about. And, um, you know, how, you talked about building that early on and, and what role that plays as you think about building your own brand. Um and how you approach that today, continue to approach that today as you move to different outlets, how you kind of continue to maintain the community side of what you've built, not just the individual brand, but the connection to the audience, which I think, you know, you draw the comparison to players, I think is where a lot of players do such a good job of having, you know, building, building an independent group of people who are going to follow them wherever they go. How do you think about the sort of community side of the audiences that you build? I mean, I think that's just social media engagement. A lot, a lot of it is just trying to find the ways to, you know, how are people communicating and communicating to them on that level? I think it's as simple as that. It, and it's harder as you get older because I don't understand. <laughs> I understand less and less. Like, am I supposed to TikTok now? Does that help me? I, I don't want to TikTok. I don't. <laughs> I hope that's not a requisite, a prerequisite of this job moving forward. Uh, if it is, so be it. But like, you do have to do relatable stuff. Like we talked about the Tom Brady thing. Like that for a second, even the hardest Tom Brady hater is going to be like, "All right, that I get that." You know. So I'm not saying I'm going to go TikTok dance, but there's nothing wrong with kind of putting yourself out there and making fun of yourself or allowing people to make fun of you and be like, yep. All right. I get, I'm old. <laughs> this is the best you're going to get out of me. Um, it's, it's an endearing thing, but any way that people are getting together, like there's this, there's clubhouse now and locker room and it's become this party line thing. So I, I had a big conference call with the podcast network and we're talking about how do we use these things to, to connect to our listeners. And that's something that you have to do. So you kind of have to go where the people go. And it's, it's just like, I use the Kardashian example, but it's actually, that's a good example of you, you got to be at these parties. You got to be seen at these parties. And, and so you got to figure out where the parties are. So flip side to that, how, having done this for a while, how has it changed when players are so much more savvy, the way you cover the sport when suddenly, you know, you, you went from the early days where the writers were the mouthpiece. That was how these guys kind of showed up in the press to now not needing that relationship with the media in the same way. How has that changed the role that you, you kind of are trying to play? Yeah, that that's changed a lot because they don't say anything anymore to us. Um, and especially in this situation where um, they are on Zoom and we don't even have one-on-one -on -one access. So it's it's progressively gotten more difficult. And you know, you, you look at a, a Kyrie Irving, for example. There, Kyrie had a few people that he used to talk to. Like he would talk to the media. And then he scales back and he only has like a few people that he would talk to. 
And then the Instagram stuff, you like he, his social media pops and he has his own outlet. And then he starts talking to fewer people one-on-one. And then he says, I'm not talking to the media anymore. And then he starts posting on his Instagram like that. Kyrie Irving is the microcosm of everything that we're talking about here that players, if they want, they, they control their own narrative. And I think some of the older players understand, like, you know, you play nice with the media and, you know, you get your stuff out there, but if there's anything that you really, really want to say, you save it for your Instagram, you save it for your Twitter, you save it for whatever social outlet or the players tribune. It's the, the days of the sports illustrated breaking the news thing are, are really starting to, to waver. Um, and then on the other side of it, there's the, the breaking news part where, you know, you're using a couple of guys on the national stage. It used to be that, the Bob Ryans around here in Boston would break news about the Boston Celtics because he was in on, on the Celtics, you know, Shaughnessy and Bullpet and those guys, the, they were the Celtics guys and there was no Woj out there tweeting. Well, now Woj and Shams are out there and, and, you know, they're doing some favors for the agents. And so everything, everything that breaks now funnels into a central location. And we have to react in, on the beat. We have to react to them um, as opposed to them reacting to us. And there's very few people who are really in there breaking news about their teams now. So the landscape has changed. And I, I don't know what's going to happen down the line because eventually something new is going to come along. You know, MySpace died. Facebook will die. Twitter will die. You know, some new competitor is going to come in and do something better somehow. And whatever that is, that's going to be the new thing. And how does that change the parameters in which we work that we're just going to have to figure that out? Yeah. Yeah. No, I, and it, I, you know, I think some of what we're going to see, do you guys ever use or take a look at discord, which if you think if TikTok makes you feel old discord will go to the next level, but um, it feels a lot like those forums we've talked about just advanced and, and, you know, much more, real time. You don't post and then refresh. You see a whole dialogue happen. But, you know, I wonder if what's coming is is going to get into the actual kind of play-by-play moments. You know, how far are we from that place where I can choose to listen to John instead of listening to the standard, you know, play-by-play guys for the Celtics and kind of choose yeah. that. And that becomes part of the the new mix. I, you know, it, it just seems like a matter of time. That is certainly, certainly, and, and people have tried that already. Um, they've tried that they tried that years ago mm-hmm. and uh, didn't quite work. And I think they're, they're, they're going to, that's going to happen again. We are very much trending towards the a la carte. You choose your own customized experience. Uh, and that's why streaming services exist because we didn't want to buy what the cable companies were selling us. And now streaming services are basically turning into cable companies. And once one streaming service was out there and people were like, oh, that's that's interesting. We're going to do that separately now. So now I got to buy Paramount. Now I got to buy, you know, Peacock. Now I got to go buy, the, if I want, all of these shows aren't in one place anymore. So now I got to go figure out, okay, what's my priority? Where's my money going to go? So if you don't like, like in Boston now, sadly, because Tommy Heinsohn passed, it's Mike Gorman and Brian Scalabrini. 
So if you don't like Brian Scalabrini and there's another option for you right now, TNT. Okay, so you put on TNT. Well, if it's Marv Albert and Chris Weber, people aren't really taking very kindly to Marv Albert and Chris Weber right now either. So if it's me and you and people like us and we're on an app, then some people are going to start to do it. And if it works and works well and people like it, then more people will do it. And it's going to spread virally just like everything else. And then what happens? Maybe one of us replaces Brian Scalabrini like that. Does that become the breeding ground? Like, isn't that the progression? Like it becomes the breeding ground. And then people, then I make it too big and people are like, no, he sucked. He, he's good on that little app, but that's the only place he belongs. So I'm out next guy up, you know, next person up. Uh, that's, it, it's all just going to be very individually crafted experiences and, and people, you see it politically, people can filter out whatever they don't want to hear. So we've gone from conservatives here, some of the other side, and, you know, you get another perspective to conservatives just go way to the right and you can just live in that little bubble. And uh, people on the left, you know, liberals uh, can, you would, would hear the conservative perspective and, and now you can just go way to the left and you live in your little bubbles and you don't hear what each other has to say. Same thing's going to happen across the board. That's not contained to politics. You can, you can be a, um, a, a Celtics fan that is, is all in on Danny Ainge. You can be a Celtics fan that hates Danny Ainge. You can just live in your little bubbles and build through your subscriptions, the little customized experiences that you want to have. You make it sound so beneficial. We were talking to Michael Tillery the other day and talking about that polarization, right? Where people can live in these bubbles and then it get, they get kicked off of, of platforms and then they create their own platform and there's another bubble over there. We're living in it. But something about that customization when it comes to sports, I kind of like, <laughs> I, kind of, yeah. I, kind of, I kind of don't like, well, I do like fighting about sports a little bit. Well, speaking about talking about sports, I, I want to start wrapping this up here. But again, I, I say it every week, we could just keep going with this. Um, you know, you, you've been with us literally from before the beginning, before we even had our, our first show. Um, I'm, I'm looking at some of our, our old videos here. I don't even remember Golfer Hitting Nuts video. So I'm going to have to go watch that afterwards. I do remember Blogger Jumps Over a Speeding Car. Uh, I do remember that one. Um, what, what are some of the, the memories that you've had from a communal standpoint o- over the last 10 years? Or, or, or uh, you know, a, a favorite memory from one of the events or something? Um, unfortunately, the amount of alcohol that we had at our events tends to erase some of the memories. That I we, we also get that a lot. I feel every week we get some iteration of that there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I'll, I'll go back to the very first one. Um, I love... I love being a part of something at the beginning. You know, that's, I would, I'd much rather be at a place that you don't know what it's going to be. We're trying something and we're going to work to make it big rather than join a place that's already big because you're just another cog. Um, Any bit that I can play in being part of the original cast is it, it, it's much more meaningful 
to me. Um, that's why my Emerson experience is, is very meaningful to me because when I got to Emerson, the team sucked and we had to travel around and they didn't have their own, their own gym. And, you know, now these guys have a gym that's at the base of a dorm. And a couple of years ago, they made the NCAA tournament. Like that stuff means a lot to me because I can sit back there. I've got my Jersey hanging on the wall. I can look at that with pride. Um, so I go back to the first one and I, you know, when I, really got to meet a lot of the other bloggers out there that I still talk to, you know, like Jeff Garcia, uh, who at that point was, that was your running mate, man. Yeah. And it, like, we became very close friends. We, we became roommates eventually at that point when we met, uh, in person, uh, I was still married. I ended up getting divorced, moving to New York and Jeff and I became roommates. Uh, that that's special. Like, I would have never done that if that, that event didn't exist, you know, um, just all of these connections, being on this podcast with you guys, like this is, this is a great conversation. This is great to catch up, but having, having built this relationship over the years and seeing everybody's progression from, Hey, let's start trying this thing to like big deal, like big deals in, in your respective fields. Like that's awesome. Like I feel a sense of, of personal pride the guys, the guys who are, are now the No Dunks podcast, but back then were the Basketball Jones, the, becoming the starters on TV, hanging out with those guys, getting to know those guys. Every single blogger, I can go name by name by name, but every single blogger out there that became something big, and there are a ton of them, that gives me pride because that's, to me, that's my team. And whether I was... The 12th man or the star of the team, it didn't matter. We're all on the same team. We're all trying to get to our own same goals, trying the same avenue to see so many people do it and now do it, get paid for it, get paid well for it. Like, awesome. Good for them. So that's that's my favorite memory. That first day in New York City, uh, what was the name of that bar? Stout. <laughs> yes. I went back there. right by Madison Square Garden. Right. I remember I went back there a few years ago, walked in. I was like, yeah, I remember this place. <laughs> awesome. It's fuzzy, but I remember it. I remember. There's a smell. Yeah. There's a smell that kind of comes <laughs> back. <laughs> well, John, that, that, that was awesome. We'd like to end it on a high note. Um, we'd love to talk about your book a little more, but maybe we'll do some posts and stuff about that. Uh, we do have to start wrapping up. There it is. Let's see it. Where can we get that? Anywhere. Anywhere. Boston Celtics all-time all-stars. There we go. There we go. Author, blogger, podcaster, video producer. He does it all. John, great friend. I do miss hanging out with you in New York. I remember some of those days like, I'm going to stick around a little bit after after work. John, let's go have a beer. Yeah. Or or several. And uh, (laughs) no, it it was a good time. So thank you, uh, John, for being a part of our team. Uh, I I love that last antidote. Kyle, uh, another good week. Pleasure as always. Excellent. Yep. All right. Until next week, I'm Don Povia. That's Kyle Bunch. Thanks to our, our guest, John Corrales, this week. Uh, we'll catch you all next week. <laughs>